CD4. Urgent footsteps ran across the stones and the pigeon was lifted off Corporal Buggy Swires. He was a gnome and barely six inches tall. On the other hand, as the head and only member of Ankh-Morpork City Watch's airborne section, he spent most of his time so high that everyone looked small. "'Are you all right, Buggy?' said Commander Vimes. "'Not too bad, sir,' said Buggy, spitting out a feather. "'But it wasn't elegant, was it? I'll do better next time. Trouble is, pigeons are too stupid to be steered.' "'What have you got me?' "'The time sent this up from the cart, sir. I tracked it all the way.' "'Well done, Buggy.' There was a flurry of wings, and the buzzard landed on the battlements. "'And, er, uh, what is his name?' Vimes added. The buzzard gave him the mad, distant look of all birds. "'She's Morag, sir. Trained by the Pixies. Wonderful bird.' "'Was she the one we paid a crate of whisky for?' "'Yes, sir, and worth every dram.' The pigeon struggled in Vimes's hand. "'You wait there, then, Buggy, and I'll get Reg to come out with some raw rabbit,' he said and walked into his tower. Sergeant Angua was waiting by his desk, reading the living testament of Nuggan. "'Is that a carrier pigeon, sir?' she said as Vimes sat down. "'No,' said Vimes. "'Hold it a minute, will you? I want to have a look inside the message capsule.' "'It does look like a carrier pigeon,' said Angua, putting down the book. "'Ah, but messages flying through the air are an abomination unto Nuggan,' said Vimes. The prayers of the faithful bounce off them, apparently. No, I think I've found someone's lost pet, and I'm looking in this little tube here to see if I can find the owner's name and address, because I'm a kind man. So, you are not actually waylaying field reports from the Times, then, sir? said Angua, grinning. Not as such, no. I'm just such a keen reader that I want to see tomorrow's news today. And Mr De Word seems to have a knack for finding things out. Angua, I want to stop these stupid people fighting so that we can all go home, and if that means allowing the occasional pigeon to have a crap on my desk, so be it. Oh, sorry, sir, I didn't notice. I expect it'll wipe off. Go and get Reg to find some rabbit for the buzzard, will you? When she'd gone, Vimes carefully unscrewed the end of the tube and pulled out a roll of very thin paper. He unfolded it, smoothed it out, and read the tiny writing, smiling as he did so. Then he turned the paper over and looked at the picture. He was still staring at it when Angua returned with Reg and half a bucket of crunchy rabbit bits. "'Anything interesting, sir?' said Angua, ingenuously. "'Well, yes, you could say that. All plans are changed, all bets are off. <laughs> oh, Mr. De Word, you poor fool.' He handed her the paper. She read the story carefully. "'Good for them, sir,' she said. "'Most of them look fifteen years old, and when you see the size of those dragoons, well, you've got to be impressed.' "'Yes, yes, you could say that, you could say that,' said Vimes, his face gleaming like a man with a joke to share. "'Tell me, did De Word interview any Borogravian high-ups when he arrived?' "'No, sir. I understand he was turned away. They don't really know what a reporter is, so I gathered the adjutant threw him out and said he was a nuisance.' "'Dear me, the poor man,' said Vimes, still grinning. "'You met Prince Heinrich the other day. Describe him to me.' Angua cleared her throat. "'Well, sir, he was largely green, shading to blue, "'with overtones of girls and a trail of... "'I meant describe him to me on the assumption "'that I'm not a werewolf who sees with his nose,' said Vimes. "'Oh, yes,' said Angua. "'Sorry, sir. 
Six foot two, hundred and eighty pounds, fair hair, green-blue eyes, sabre scar on his left cheek, wears a monocle in his right eye, waxed moustache. Good. Well observed. And now look at Captain Horence in the picture, will you? She looked again and said, very quietly, Oh, dear. They didn't know. He wasn't going to tell him, was he? Would they have seen a picture? Angua shrugged. I doubt it, sir. I mean, where would they see it? There's never been a newspaper here until the Times carts turned up last week. Some woodcut, maybe? No, they're an abomination, unless they're of the Duchess. So they really didn't know. And de Word has never seen him, said Vimes. But you saw him when we arrived the other day. What did you think of him, just between ourselves? An arrogant son of a bitch, sir, and I know what I'm talking about. The kind of man who thinks he knows what a woman likes, and it's himself. All very friendly, right up until they say no. Stupid? I don't think so, but not as clever as he thinks he is. Right, because he didn't tell our writer friend his real name. Did you read the bit at the end? Angua read at the end of the text. Perry, the captain threatened and harangued me after the recruits had gone. Alas, I had no time to fish for the manacle key in the privy. Please let the prince know where they are soonest. WDW. Looks like William didn't take to him either, she said. I wonder why the prince was out with a scouting party. You said he was an arrogant son of a bitch, said Vimes. Maybe he just wanted to pop across and see if his arm was still breathing. His voice trailed off. Angua looked at Vimes's face, which was staring through her. She knew her boss. He thought war was simply another crime like murder. He didn't much like people with titles and regarded being a duke as a job description rather than a lever to greatness. He had an odd sense of humour, and he had a sense for what she thought of as harbingers, those little straws in the wind that said there was a storm coming. In the nuddy, he chuckled. Could have slit their throats. Didn't. They took their boots away and left them to hop home in the nude. The squad, it seemed, had found a friend. She waited. I feel sorry for the Borogravians, he said. Me too, sir, said Angua. Oh, why? Their religion's gone bad on them. Have you seen the latest abominations? They abominate the smell of beets and people with red hair. In rather shaky writing, sir. And root vegetables are a staple here. Three years ago, it was abominable to grow root crops on ground which had grown grain or peas. Vimes looked blank, and she remembered that he was a city boy. It means no real crop rotation, sir, she explained. The ground sours, diseases build up. You were right when you said they were going mad. These commandments are dumb, and any farmer can see that. I imagine people go along with them as best they can, but sooner or later you either have to break them and feel guilty, or keep them and suffer. For no reason, sir. I've had a look around. They're very religious here, but their gods let them down. No wonder they mostly pray to their royal family. She watched him stare at the piece of pigeon post for a while, then he said, How far is it to plots? About fifty miles, said Angua, adding, as the wolf runs, maybe six hours. I can leave right away. Good. Buggy will keep an eye on you. Little Henry is going to hop home, or meet one of his patrols, or an enemy patrol, whatever. But the midden is going to hit the windmill when everyone sees that picture. I bet De Word would have let him out if he'd been nice and polite. That'll teach him to meddle with the awesome power of a fair and free press. <laughs> 
He sat upright and rubbed his hands together like a man who meant business. Now, let's get that pigeon on its way again before it gets missed, eh? Get Reg to lurch along to where the Times people are staying and tell them their pigeon flew in the wrong window. Again. That was a good time, Polly remembered. They didn't go down to the river docks. They could see there was no boat there. They hadn't turned up and the boatman had left without them. Instead, they crossed the bridge and headed up into the forests, with Blouse leading the way on his ancient horse. Maledict went on ahead and Jade brought up the rear. You didn't need a light at night when a vampire led the way, and a troll at the rear would certainly discourage hangers-on. No one mentioned the boat. No one spoke at all. The thing was... The thing was, Polly realised, that they were no longer marching alone. They shared the secret. That was a huge relief, and right now they didn't need to talk about it. Nevertheless, it was probably a good idea to keep up a regular output of farts, belches, nose-pickings and groin-scratchings just in case. Polly didn't know whether to be proud that they'd taken her for a boy. I mean, she thought, I'd worked hard to get it right. I mastered the walk. Except, I suppose, what I really did was mistress the walk. <laughs> I invented the fake shaving routine, and the others didn't even think of that. I haven't cleaned my fingernails for days, and I pride myself on being able to belch with the best of them. So, I mean, I was trying. It was just slightly annoying to find that she'd succeeded so well. After a few hours of this, when true dawn was breaking, they smelled smoke. There was a faint pall of it among the trees. Lieutenant Blouse raised a hand for them to halt, and Jackram joined him in whispered conversation. Polly stepped forward. Permission to whisper too, Sarge. I think I know what this is. Jackram and Blouse stared at her. Then the sergeant said, All right, Perks, go and find out if you're right, then. That was an aspect that hadn't occurred to Polly, but she'd left herself open. Jackram relented when he saw her expression, nodded to Maledict and said, Go with him, Corporal. They left the squad behind and walked forward carefully, over the beds of new-fallen leaves. The smoke was heavy and fragrant, and above all, reminiscent. Polly headed to where thicker undergrowth was taking advantage of the extra light of a clearing, and pushed through into an airy thicket of hazel trees. The smoke was denser here, and barely moving. The thicket ended. A few yards away, in a wide patch of cleared ground, a mound like a small volcano was spewing flame and smoke into the air. "'Charcoal oven,' whispered Polly. "'Just clay, plastered on a stack of hazel. Should sit there smouldering for days. The wind probably caught it last night and the fire's broken out. Won't make good charcoal now. It's burning too fast.' They edged around it, keeping to the bushes. Other clay domes were dotted around the clearing, with faint wisps of steam and smoke coming from their tops. There were a couple of ovens in the process of being built, the fresh clay stacked alongside some bundles of hazel sticks. There was a hut, and the domes, and nothing else but silence, apart from the crackle of the runaway fire. "'The charcoal burner's dead, or nearly dead,' said Polly. "'He's dead,' said Maledict. "'There is a smell of death here.' You can smell it above the smoke. Sure, said Maledict. Some things were good at smelling. But how did you know? They watched the burns like hawks, said Polly, staring at the hut. He wouldn't let it go out of control like that if he was alive. Is he in the hut? They are in the hut, said Maledict flatly. He set off across the smoky ground. Polly ran after him. Man and woman, she said. 
their wives often live out with. Can't tell, not if they're old, said Maledict shortly. The hut was only a temporary thing, made of woven hazel and roofed with tarpaulin. The charcoal burners moved around a lot, from coppice to coppice. It didn't have windows, but it did have a doorway, with a rag for a door. The rag had been pulled away. The doorway was dark. I've got to be a man about this, she thought. There was a woman on the bed, and a man lying on the floor. There were other details which the eyes saw, but the brain did not focus on. There was a great deal of blood. The couple had been old. They would not grow older. Back outside, Polly took frantic mouthfuls of air. "'Do you think those cavalry men did it?' she said at last, and then realised that Maledict was shaking. "'Oh, the blood!' she said. "'I can deal with it. It's OK. I just have to get my mind right. It's OK.' He leaned against the hut, breathing heavily. OK, I'm fine, he said, and I can't smell horses. Why don't you use your eyes? Nice soft mud everywhere after the rain, but no hoof prints. Plenty of footprints, though. We did it. Don't be silly, we were... The vampire had reached down and pulled something out of the fallen leaves. He rubbed the mud off it with a thumb. In thin pressed brass, it was the flaming cheese badge of the ins and outs. "'I thought we were the good guys,' said Polly weakly. "'If we were guys, I mean.' "'I think I need a coffee,' said the vampire. "'Deserters,' said Sergeant Jackram ten minutes later. "'It happens.' He tossed the badge into the fire. "'But they were on our side,' said Shufty. "'So? Not everyone's a nice gentleman like you, Private Manacle,' said Jackram. "'Not after a few years of getting shot at and eating rat scubbo.' On the retreat from Krask, I had no water for three days, and then fell on my face in a puddle of horse-piss, a circumstance which did nothing for my feelings of goodwill toward my fellow-man or horse. Something the matter, Corporal? Maledict was on his knees, going through his pack with a distracted air. My cough is gone, Sarge. Should have packed it properly, then, said Jackram, unsympathetically. I did, Sarge. "'I washed out the engine and packed it up with the beanbag after supper last night. "'I know I did. I don't take coffee lightly.' "'If someone else did, they're going to wish I'd never been born,' growled Jackram, "'looking around at the rest of the squad. "'Anyone else lost anything?' "'Eh, I wasn't going to say anything, because I wasn't sure,' Shufty volunteered. "'But my stuff looked as if it had been pulled about when I opened my pack just now.' "'Oh, oh said Jackram. "'Well, well, well.' "'I'll say this once, lads. "'Pinching from your mates is a hanging offence, understood? "'Nothing breaks down morale faster than some sneaky little sod "'dipping into people's packs. "'And if I find out someone's been at it, I'll swing on their heels.' "'He glared at the squad. "'I ain't going to demand that you all empty out your packs as if you's criminals,' he said. "'But you'd better check that nothing's missing. "'Of course, one of you might have packed something that wasn't theirs by accident, okay?' "'Packing in a rush, poor light, easy to do. "'In which case, you sort it out amongst yourselves, understand? "'Now I'm off to have a shave. "'Lieutenant Blouse is having a throw-up behind the shelter "'after a viewing of the corpses, poor chap.' "'Polly rummaged desperately in her pack. "'She'd thrown things in any old how last night, "'but what she was frantically searching for was... "'not there. "'Despite the heat from the charcoal mounds, she shivered.' The ringlets had gone. Feverishly, she tried to remember the events of yesterday evening. 
They just dumped their packs as soon as they were in the barracks, right? And Maledict had made himself some coffee at supper time. He'd washed and dried the little machine. There was a thin little wail. Wazza, the meagre contents of her pack spread around her, held up the coffee engine. It had been stamped almost flat. She began. Polly's mind worked faster, like a mill wheel in a flood. Then everyone took their packs into the back room with all the mattresses, didn't they? And so they'd still be there when the squad fought the troopers. Oh, was, said Shufty. Oh, dear. So who might have sneaked in through the back door? There was no one around except the squad and the cavalrymen. Perhaps someone wanted to watch and cause a little trouble on the way. Strappy, she said aloud. It must have been him. The little weasel ran into the cavalry and then snuck back to watch. He was dar- damn well going through our packs out the back. Oh, come on, she added as they stared at her. Can you see Wazza stealing from anyone? Anyway, when did she have the chance? Wouldn't he have taken him prisoner, said Tonka, staring at the crushed machine in Wazza's shaking hands. If he'd whipped off his shako and jacket, he'd be just another stupid civilian, wouldn't he? Or he could say he was a deserter. He could make up some story, said Polly. You know how he was with Wazzer. He went through my pack too, stole something of mine. What was it? said Shufty. Just something, OK? He just wanted to make trouble. She watched them, thinking. Sounds convincing, said Maledict, nodding abruptly. Little weasel. OK, was. Just fish out the beans and I'll do the best I can. There's no, no, Maledict put a hand over his eyes. No beans, he said. Please, has anyone got the beans? There was a general rummaging and a general lack of a result. No beans, moaned Maledict. He threw away the beans. Come on, lads, we've got to get the sentries posted, said Jackram, approaching. Sorted it all out, have you? Yes, Sarge. Oz thinks, Shifty began. It was all a bit of a mispacking, Sarge said Polly quickly, anxious to keep away from anything connected with missing ringlets. Nothing to worry about. All sorted, Sarge. No problem. Nothing to worry anyone. Not a thing, Sarge. Jackram looked from the startled squad to Polly, and back, and back again. She felt his gaze bore into her, daring her to change her expression of mad, tense honesty. Yes, he said slowly. Right. "'Sorted out, eh? Well done, Perks. Attention, Officer Pleasant.' "'Yes, yes, Sergeant, thank you. "'But I don't think we need to be too formal,' said Blouse, who looked rather pale. "'A word with you when you have finished, if you please. "'And I think we should bury the, um, bodies.' Jackram saluted. "'Right you are, sir. Two volunteers to dig a grave for those poor souls. "'Goom and Tute. What's he doing?' Lofty was over by the blazing charcoal oven. She was holding a burning branch a foot or two from her face and turning it this way and that, watching the flames. "'I'll do it, Sarge,' said Tonka, stepping beside Wazza. "'What are you, married?' said Jackram. "'You are on guard, Halter. I doubt whoever did it will come back, but if they do, you sing out, right? You and Igor come with me and I'll show you your stations.' "'No coffee,' moaned Maledict. "'Foul muck, anyway.' said Jackram, walking away. A cup of hot sweet tea is the soldier's friend. 
Polly grabbed the kettle for Blouse's shaving water and hurried away. That was another thing you learned in the military. Look busy. Look busy, and no one worried too much about what you were busy at. Bloody, bloody Strappy. He'd got her hair. He'd try and use it against her if he could, that was certain. That'd be his style. What would he do now? Well, he'd want to keep away from Jackram, that'd be another certainty. He'd wait, somewhere. She'd have to, too. The squad had made camp upwind of the smoke. It was supposed to be a rest stop, since no one had got much sleep last night. But as Jackram handed out tasks, he reminded them, There is an old military saying which is, Hard luck for you. There was no question of using the woven hut, but there were a few tarpaulin-covered frames built to keep the coppiced wood dry. Those not given jobs to do lay down on the stacked piles of twigs, which were yielding and didn't smell, and were, in any case, better than the inhabited palliasses back at the barracks. Blouse, as an officer, had a shelter to himself. Polly had stacked bundles of twigs to make a chair that was at least springy. Now she laid out his shaving things and turned to go. "'Could you shave me, Perks?' said the lieutenant. Fortunately, Polly's back was turned, and he didn't see her expression. "'This damn hand is quite swollen, I'm afraid,' Blouse went on. "'I would not normally ask, but—' "'Yes, of course, sir,' said Polly, because there was no alternative. "'Well, now, let's see. She'd got quite good at scraping a blunt razor across a face bare of hair, yes. Oh, and she'd shaved a few dead pigs in the kitchens at the Duchess, but that was only because nobody likes hairy bacon.' They didn't really count, did they? Panic rose and rose faster at the sight of Jackram approaching. She was going to cut an officer's throat in the presence of a sergeant. Well, when in doubt, bustle, military rule. Bustle and hope there's a surprise attack. Are you not being a little strict with the men, sergeant? said Blouse as Polly flapped a towel around his neck. Not, sir. Keep em occupied, that's the bunny. Otherwise they'll mop, said Jackram confidently. Yes, "'But they have just seen a couple of badly mutilated bodies,' said Blouse, and shuddered. "'Good practice for them, sir. They'll see plenty more.' Polly turned to the shaving gear she'd laid out on a towel. "'Let's see. Cutthroat razor. Oh, dear. "'The grey stone for coarse sharpening, the red stone for fine sharpening, "'the soap, the brush, the bowl. "'Well, at least she knew how to make foam. "'Deserters, Sergeant.' "'Bad business,' Blouse went on. "'You always get em, sir. "'That's why the pay is always late. "'Walking away from three months' back pay "'makes a man think twice.' de word, the newspaper man, "'said there had been a great many desertions, Sergeant. "'It is very strange that so many men "'would desert from a winning side.' "'Polly whirled the brush vigorously. "'Jackram, for the first time since Maledict had joined, "'looked uncomfortable. "'But whose side's he on, sir?' he said. "'Sergeant, I am sure you are not a stupid man,' said Blouse, as behind him foam poured over the edge of the bowl and flopped onto the floor. "'There are desperate deserters abroad. Our borders appear to be sufficiently unguarded that enemy cavalry operate forty miles inside our fair country. And High Command appears to be so desperate—yes, desperate, Sergeant, that even half a dozen untrained and frankly very young men must go to the front.' The foam had a life of its own now— Polly hesitated. "'Hot towel first, please, Parks,' said Blouse. "'Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Forgot, sir,' said Polly, panic rising. She had a vague recollection of walking past the barber shop in months. "'Hot towel on face. Right.' 
She grabbed a small towel, tipped boiling water onto it, wrung it out, and dropped it on the lieutenant's face. He did not actually scream as such. Ah, ah, something else worries me, Sergeant. Yes, sir. The cavalry must have apprehended Corporal Strappy. I cannot see how else they found out about our men. Good thinking, sir, said the sergeant, watching Polly apply the lather across Blouse's mouth and nose. I do hope they didn't torture the poor man, said the lieutenant. Jackram was silent on that issue, but meaningfully so. Polly wished he wouldn't keep glancing at her. But why would a deserter head straight for the front, said Blouse. Makes sense, sir, for an old soldier, especially a political. Really? Trust me on that, sir, said Jackram. Behind Blouse, Polly brushed the razor up and down the red stone. It was already as slick as ice. But our boys, sergeant, are not old soldiers. It takes two weeks to turn a recruit into a fighting man, said the lieutenant. They're promising material, sir. I could do it in a couple of days, sir, said Jackram. Perks? Polly nearly sliced her thumb off. Yes, Sarge, she quavered. Do you think you could kill a man today? Polly glanced at the razor. The edge glowed. I'm sorry to say I think I could, sir. There you have it, sir, said Jackram with a lopsided grin. There's something about these lads, sir. They're quick. He walked behind Blouse, took the razor from Polly's grateful hand without a word, and said, There's a few matters we ought to discuss, sir, private-like. I think Perks here ought to get some rest. Of course, Sergeant. Part of only soldat Jean, eh? And them too, sir, said Jackram. You're dismissed, Perks. Polly walked away, her right hand still trembling. Behind her she heard Blouse sigh and say, These are tricky times, Sergeant. Command has never been so burdensome. The great General Tacticus says that in dangerous times the commander must be like the eagle and see the whole, yet still be like the hawk and see every detail. Yes, sir, said Jackram, gliding the razor down a cheek. And if he acts like a common tit, sir, he can hang upside down all day and eat fat bacon. Er, uh, well said, Sergeant. The charcoal burner and his wife were buried to the accompaniment of, to Polly's lack of surprise, a small prayer from Wazza. It asked the Duchess to intercede with the god Nuggan to give eternal rest and similar items to the departed. Polly had heard it many times before. She'd wondered how the process worked. She'd never prayed since the day the bird burned, not even when her mother was dying. A god that burned painted birds would not save a mother. A god like that was not worth a prayer. But Wazza prayed for everyone. Wazza prayed like a child, eyes screwed up and hands clenched until they were white. The reedy little voice trembled with such belief that Polly felt embarrassed, and then ashamed, and finally, after the ringing Amen, amazed that the world appeared no different than before. For a minute or two it had been a better place. There was a cat in the hut. It cowered under the crude bed and spat at anyone who came close. "'All the food's been taken, but there's carrots and parsnips in a little garden down the hill a bit,' Shufty said as they walked away. "'It'd be st stealing from the dead,' said Wazza. "'Well, if they object, they can hold on, can't they?' said Shufty. "'They're underground already.' For some reason that was, at this time, funny. They'd have laughed at anything. Now there was Jade, Lofty, Shufty and Polly. Everyone else was on guard duty. They sat by a fire, 
on which a small pot seethed. Lofty tended the fire. She always seemed more animated near a fire, Polly noticed. "'I'm doing horse scubble for the Rupert,' said Shufty, easily dropping into a slang learned all of twenty hours ago. "'He specifically asked for it. Got lots of dry horse jerky from three parts, but Tonka says she can knock over some pheasants while she's on duty.' "'I hope she spends some time watching for enemies too,' said Polly. "'She'll be careful,' said Lofty, prodding the fire with a stick. "'You know, if we're found out, we'll be beaten and sent back,' said Shufty. "'Oh, boy,' said Polly, so suddenly she surprised herself. "'By whom? Who's going to try out here? Who cares out here?' "'Well, er, uh, wearing men's clothes is an abomination unto Nuggan.' "'Why?' "'It just is,' said Shufty firmly. "'But—' "'You're wearing them? said Polly. "'Well, it was the only way,' said Shufty. "'And I tried them on, and they didn't seem all that abominable to me.' "'Have you noticed the men talk to you differently?' said Lofty, shyly. "'Talk?' said Polly. "'They listen to you differently, too.' "'They don't keep looking at you all the time,' said Shufty. "'You know what I mean? You're just another person.' If a girl walked down the street wearing a sword, a man would try to take it off her. We're trolls. We ain't allowed to carry clubs, said Jade. Only large rocks. And it ain't right for a girl to wear lichen, cos the boys say bald is modest. Had to rub bird doings into my head to grow this lot. That was quite a long speech for a troll. Uh, we didn't know that, said Polly. Um... "'Trolls all look the same to us, more or less.' "'I'm naturally craggy,' said Jade. "'I don't see why I should polish.' "'There is a difference,' said Shufty. "'I think it's the socks. "'It's like they pull you forward all the time. "'It's like the whole world spins around your socks.' "'She sighed and looked at the horse meat, "'which had been boiled almost white. "'It's done,' she said. "'You'd better go and give it to the Rupert, Polly. "'I mean, Ozza. "'I told the Sarge I could do something better, "'but he said the lieutenant said how good it was last night. "'A small wild turkey, a brace of pheasants, "'and a couple of rabbits all tied together "'landed in front of Shufty. "'Good job we were guarding you, eh?' said Tonka, "'grinning and whirring an empty sling around in one hand. "'One rock, one lunch. "'Maledict's staying on guard. "'He said he'll smell anyone before they see him, "'and he's too edgy to eat. "'What can you do with that lot?' "'Casserole of game,' said Shufty firmly. "'We've got the veg, and I've still got half an onion.' "'A woman always has half an onion left over, "'no matter what the size of the onion, the dish, or the woman. "'I'm sure I can make an oven out of one of those—' "'On your feet, attention!' snapped the silently moving Jackram behind them. "'He stood back with a faint smile on his face as they scrambled to their feet. "'Private halter, I must have bleeding amazing eyesight.' he said when they were approximately upright. "'Yes, Sarge,' said Tonka, staring straight ahead. "'Can you guess why, Private Holter?' "'No, Sarge.' "'It's because I knows you are on perimeter guard, Holter, but I can see you as clear as if you were standing right here in front of me, Holter. Can't I, Holter?' "'Yes, Sarge.' "'It's just as well you are still on perimeter duty, Holter, because the penalty for absenting yourself from your post in time of war is death, Holter.' "'Are you only?' "'No onlys. I don't want to hear no onlys. I don't want you to think that I am a shouty man, Holter. Corporal Strappy was a shouty man, but he was a damn political. 
Upon my oath, I am not a shouty man, but if you ain't back at your post inside of thirty seconds, I'll rip your tongue out. Tonka fled. Sergeant Jackram cleared his throat and continued in a level voice. This, my lads, is what we call a real orientation lecture, not one of the fancy political ones like Strappy gave you. He cleared his throat again. The purpose of this lecture is to let you know where we are. We are in the deep cack. It couldn't be worse if it was raining arseholes. Any questions? Since there were none from the bemused recruits, he continued while beginning a slow stroll around the squad. We know enemy forces are in the area. Currently they have no boots, but there will be others with boots aplenty. Also there may be deserters in the area. They will not be nice people. They will be impolite. Therefore, Lieutenant Blouse has decreed that we will travel off the roads and by night. Yes, we have met the enemy, and we have prevailed. That was a fluke. They weren't expecting you to be rough, tough soldiers. Nor were you, so I don't want you to feel cocky about it. He leaned forward until his face was inches from Polly's. Are you feeling cocky, Private Perks? No, Sarge. Good. Good. Jackram stepped back. We are heading for the front, lads, the war. And in a nasty war, where's the best place to be? Apart from on the moon, of course. No one? Slowly, Jade raised a hand. Go on, then, said the sergeant. In the army, Sarge, said the troll. Cause? She began to count on her fingers. One, you got weapons and armour and debt. Two. You are surrounded by other armed men. Uh, many use getting paid and getting better grub than the people in civilian street. Uh, lots. If and you gives up, you getting taken prisoner and there's rules about that, like not kicking prisoners in her head and stuff, cause if you kick their prisoners in her head... They'll kick your prisoners in her head, so that's like you're kicking your own head. But there's no rule says you can't kick enemy civilians in her head. There's other stuff too, but I ran out of numbers. She gave them a diamond grin. We may be slow, but we ain't stupid, she added. I am impressed, Private said Jackram, and you are right. The only wasp in the jam is that you ain't soldiers. But I can help you there. Being a soldier is not hard. If it was, soldiers would not be able to do it. There is only three things you need to remember, which are viz. One, obey orders. Two, give it to the enemy good and hard. Three, don't die. Got that? Right. You're nearly there. Well done. I propose to assist you in the execution of all three. You are my little lads, and I will look after you. In the meantime, you've got duties. Shufti, get cooking. Private Perks, see to the Rupert. And after that, practice your shaving. I will now visit those on guard, and deliver unto them the holy word. Dis missed. They remained at something like attention, until he was probably out of earshot, and then sagged. "'Why does he always shout?' said Shufty. "'I mean, he only has to ask.' Polly appended the horrible scubbo into a tin bowl 
and almost ran to the lieutenant's shelter. He looked up from a map and smiled at her as if she was delivering a feast. Ah, Scubbo, he said. We are actually having other stuff, sir, Polly volunteered. I'm sure there's enough to go round. Good heavens, no. No, it's been years since I've had food like this, said Blouse, picking up the spoon. Of course, at school we didn't appreciate it so much. You had food like this at school, sir, said Polly. Yes, most days, said Blouse happily. Polly couldn't quite fit this in her head. Blouse was a knob. Knobs ate knobby food, didn't they? Had you done something bad, sir? I can't imagine what you mean, Perks, said Blouse, slurping at the horrible thin gruel. Are the men rested? Yes, sir. The dead people were a bit of a shock. Yes, bad business, sighed the lieutenant. Such is war, alas. I'm only sorry you had to learn so fast. Such a terrible waste all the time. I'm sure things can be sorted out when we reach Connect, though. No general can expect young men like yourselves to be instant soldiers. I shall have something to say about that. His rabbity features looked unusually determined, as if a hamster had spotted a gap in its treadmill. Do you require me for anything else, sir? said Polly. Ah, uh, do the men talk about me, Perks? Not really, sir, no. The lieutenant looked disappointed. Oh. Oh, well. Thank you, Perks. Polly wondered if Jackram ever slept. She did a spell of guard duty, and he stepped out from behind her with, Guess who, Perks? You're on lookout. You should see the dreadful enemy before they see you. What are the four S's? Shape, shadow, silhouette, and shine, Sarge, said Polly, snapping to attention. She'd been expecting this. That caused a moment's pause from the sergeants before he said, Just knew that, did you? No, sir. A little bird told me when we changed guards, sir. Said you'd asked him, sir. Oh, so... "'Jackram's little lads are ganging up on their kindly old sergeant, are they?' said Jackram. "'No, sir. Sharing information important to the squad in a vital survival situation, Sarge. "'You've got a quick mouth on you, Perks, I'll grant you that. Thank you, Sarge. "'But I see you're not standing in a bleeding shadow, Perks, "'nor have you done anything to change your bleeding shape, "'your silhouetted against the bleeding light, "'and your sabres shining like a diamond in a chimney-sweep's bleeding airhole. "'Explain!' "'It's because of the one sea, Sarge,' said Polly, still staring straight ahead. "'And that is?' "'Colour, Sarge. I'm wearing bleeding red and white in a bleeding grey forest, Sarge.' She risked a sideways glance. In Jackram's little piggy eyes there gleamed a gleam. It was the one they had when he was secretly pleased. "'Ashamed of your lovely, lovely uniform, Perks,' he said. "'Don't want to be seen dead in it, Sarge,' said Polly. "'Ha!' "'As you were, Perks,' Polly smiled straight ahead. "'When she came off guard for a bowl of game casserole, "'Jackram was teaching basic swordcraft to Lofty and Tonka, "'using hazel sticks as swords. "'By the time Polly had finished, "'he was teaching Wazza some of the finer points "'of using a high-performance pistol crossbow, "'especially the one about not turning around with it cocked "'and saying, "'Well, well, well what's this bit for, Sarge?' "'Wazza handled weapons like a house-proud woman "'disposing of a dead mouse.' at arm's length and trying not to look. But even she was better with them than Igor, who just didn't seem at home with the idea of what was, to him, randomised surgery. Jade was dozing. Maledict was hanging by his knees under the roof of one of the sheds, with his arms folded across his chest. He must have been telling the truth when he said that there were some aspects of being a vampire that were hard to give up. Igor and Maledict. 
She still wasn't sure about Maledict, but Igor had to be a boy with those stitches around the head and that face that could only be called homely. And even then it was the kind of home that has a burned-out vehicle on the lawn. He was quiet and neat, but maybe that's how Igor's behaved. She woke up with Shufti shaking her. We're moving. Better go and see to the Rupert. What? Oh, right. There was a bustle all around her. Polly staggered to her feet and hurried over to Lieutenant Blouse's shed, where he was standing in front of his wretched horse and holding the bridle with a lost expression. Ah, Perks, he said. I'm not at all sure I'm doing this right. No, sir. You've got the waffles twisted and the snuffles are upside down, said Polly, who'd often helped in the inn's yard. Ah, that would be why he was so difficult last night, said Blouse. I suppose I ought to know this sort of thing, but at home we had a man to do it. Let me, sir, said Polly. She untwisted the bridle with a few careful movements. What's his name, sir? Thalocephalos, said Blouse sheepishly. That was the legendary stallion of General Tacticus, you know. I didn't know that, sir, said Polly. She leaned back and glanced between the horse's rear legs. Wow, Blouse really was short-sighted, wasn't he? The mare looked at her partly with its eyes, which were small and evil, but mostly with its yellowing teeth, of which it had an enormous amount. She had the impression that it was thinking about sniggering. "'I'll hold him for you while you mount, sir,' she said. "'Thank you. He certainly moves about a bit when I try.' "'I expect he does, sir,' said Polly. She knew about difficult horses. This one had all the hallmarks of a right bastard, one of those not cowed at all by the obvious superiority of the human race.' The mare eyeballed and yellow-toothed her as Blouse mounted, but Polly had positioned herself carefully away from the uprights of the shelter. Thalocephalos wasn't the sort to buck and kick. She was the sneaky kind, Polly could see, the sort that stepped on your foot. She moved her foot just as the hoof came down, but Thalocephalos, angry at being thwarted, turned, twisted, lowered her head and bit Polly sharply on the rolled-up socks. "'Bad horse!' said Blouse severely. "'Sorry about that, Perks. I think he's anxious to get to the fray. "'Oh, my word!' he added, looking down. "'Are you all right, Perks?' "'Well, he's pulling a bit, sir,' said Polly, being dragged sideways. "'Blouse had gone white again. "'But he's bitten. He, he's caught you by the... Uh, right on the...' "'The penny dropped. "'Polly looked down and hastily remembered what she'd heard "'during numerous rule-free bar fights. "'Oh, ah, oh, ah, blimey!' "'Right in a fruit! Ow!' she lamented, and then, since it seemed a good idea at the time, brought both fists down heavily on the mare's nose. The lieutenant fainted. It took some time to bring Blouse round, but at least it gave Polly time to think. He opened his eyes and focused on her. "'Er, you fell off your horse, sir,' Polly volunteered. "'Perks? Are you all right? Dear boy, he had you by the—' "'Only needs a few stitches, sir,' said Polly cheerfully. What? From Igor? No, sir. Just the cloth, sir, said Polly. The trousers are a bit big for me, sir. Ah, right. Too big, eh? Phew, eh? <laughs> Near miss there, eh? Well, I mustn't lie around here all day. The squad helped him onto Thalocephalos, who was still sniggering unrepentantly. On the subject of too big, Polly made a mental note to see about his jacket next time they stopped. She wasn't much good with a needle, but if Igor couldn't do something to make it look better, then he wasn't the man she thought he was. And that was a sentence that begged a question. Jackram bellowed them into order.
They were better at that now. Neater, too. All right, ins and outs. Tonight we... A set of huge yellow teeth removed his cap. Oh, I do apologise, Sergeant, said Blouse behind him, trying to rein back the mare. No bother, sir. These things happen, said Jackram, furiously tugging his hat back. I should like to address my men, Sergeant. Oh? Er, uh, yes, sir, said Jackram, looking worried. Of course, sir. Ins and outs. A ten wait for it. Shun. Blouse coughed. Er, uh, <clears throat> men, he said. As you know, we must make all speed to the Connect Valley, where, apparently, we are needed. Travelling by night will prevent entanglements. Ah, uh, I... He stared at them, his face contorted by some inner struggle. Ah, uh, I have to say, I don't think we are... That is, all the evidence is... Ah, uh, it doesn't seem to me that, um... I think I should tell you, um... Permission to speak, sir, said Polly. Are you feeling all right? We just have to hope that those put in power over us are making right decisions, mumbled Blouse. But I have every confidence in you, and I'm sure you will do your best. Long live the Duchess. Carry on, Sergeant Jackram. Ins and outs. Form up. March. And they headed into the dusk and off to war. About half an hour after the squad had left, the charcoal burner's cat ventured very cautiously back into the hut. It liked the hut. It got fed there. It watched, with suspicion, a stub of candle that had been lit and put very carefully on a pile of straw and dried bracken between the makeshift beds. Its ears flattened as the shrinking candle flared and the waxy straw around it began to crackle. By the time the hut was a mass of flame, the cat was on the other side of the clearing, moving fast. The order of march was as last night with Maledict going on ahead. The clouds were holding in some heat, and were thin enough to hint at moonlight here and there. Forests by night held no problems for Polly anyway, and this wasn't true wild forest in any case. Nor was it, in truth, a march that they were doing. It was more like a high-speed creep in ones and twos. She'd acquired two of the horse bows, now stuck awkwardly between the straps of her pack. They were horrible things, rather like a cross between a small crossbow and a clock, there were mechanisms in the thick shaft, and the bow itself was barely six inches across. Somehow, if you leaned your weight on it, you could cock it with enough stored energy to fire a nasty little metal arrow through an inch-thick plank. They were blued metal, sleek and evil. But there is an old military saying, Better me firing it at you than you firing it at me, you bastard. Polly eased her way along the line until she was walking alongside Igor. He nodded to her in the gloom, and then turned his attention to walking. He needed to because his pack was twice the size of the rest of them. No one felt inclined to ask him what was in it. Sometimes you thought you could hear liquid sloshing. Igors sometimes passed through Munns, although technically they were an abomination in the eyes of Nuggan. It had seemed to Polly that using bits of someone who was dead to help three or four other people stay alive was a sensible idea. But in the pulpit... Father Jupe had argued that Nuggan didn't want people to live. He wanted them to live properly. There had been general murmurs of agreement from the congregation, but Polly knew for a fact that there were a couple of people sitting there with a hand or arm or leg that was a little less tanned or a little more hairy than the other one. There were lumberjacks everywhere in the mountains. Accidents happened. Fast, sudden accidents. 
and, since there were not many jobs for a one-armed lumberjack, men went off and found an Igor to do what no amount of prayer could manage. The Igors had a motto. What goes around comes around. You didn't have to pay them back. You had to pay them forward. And that, frankly, was the bit where people got worried. When you were dying, an Igor would mysteriously arrive on the doorstep and request that he be allowed to take away any bits urgently needed by others on his little list. He'd be quite happy to wait until the priest had gone, and it was said, when the time came, he'd do very neat work. However, it happened quite often that when an Igor turned up, the prospective donor took fright and turned to Nuggan, who liked whole people. In which case, the Igor would quietly and politely leave and never come back. He'd never come back to the whole village, or the whole lumber camp, nor would other Igors. What goes around, comes around, or stops. As far as Polly could tell, Igors believed that the body was nothing more than a more complicated kind of clothing. Oddly enough, that's what Nugganites thought too. Glad you joined, Igor, said Polly as they jogged along. Yes, of. Could you take a look at the Rupert's hand next time we stop, please? He cut it badly. Yes, Oz. Can I ask you something, Igor? Yes, Oz. What are female Igors called, Igor? Igor stumbled and kept moving. He was silent for a while and then said, All right, what did I do wrong? Sometimes you forget to lisp, said Polly, but mostly it's just a feeling. Little things about the way you move, maybe. The word you're looking for is Igorina, said Igorina. We don't lisp as much as the boys. It's a style thing. They continued in more silence until Polly said, I thought it was bad enough cutting my hair. The stitches, said Igorina. I can have them out in five minutes. They're just for show. Polly hesitated, but after all, Igors had to be trustworthy, didn't they? You didn't cut your hair? Actually, I just removed it, said Igorina. I put mine in my pack, Polly went on, trying not to look at the stitches around Igorina's head. So did I, said Igorina, in a jar. It's still growing. Polly swallowed. You needed a lack of graphic imagination to talk about personal issues with an Igor. Mine was stolen back at the barracks. I'm sure it was strappy, she said. Oh, dear. I hate to think of him with it. Why did you bring it? And that was the question. She'd planned. And she'd been good at planning. She'd fooled the rest of them even. She'd been cool and sensible, and she hadn't felt more than a faint pang at cutting off her hair. And she'd brought it with her. Why? She could have thrown it away. It wasn't magic. It was just hair. She could have thrown it away, just like that. Easily. But... But... Ah, right. The maids could have found it. That was it. She had to get it out of the house quickly. Right. And then she could bury it somewhere when she was a long way away. Right. But she hadn't, had she? She'd been very busy. Right, said the little voice in inner treachery. She had been very busy fooling everyone but herself. Right? What could Strappy do? said Igorina. Dracram would knock him over a moment he thaw him. He's a deserter and a thief. Yes, but he could tell someone, said Polly. OK, 
then say it's a lock of hair from the sweetheart you left behind you. Lots of soldiers carry a locket or something like that. You know, her golden hair in Linglet's fair, like the song says. It was all my hair. A locket? You couldn't hold it all in your hat. Ah, said Igorina. Then you could say you loved her very much. Despite everything, Polly started to laugh and couldn't stop herself. She bit her sleeve and tried to keep going with her shoulders shaking. Something that felt like a small tree prodded her in the back. You two ought to keep the noise down, rumbled Jade. Sorry, sorry, hissed Polly. Igorina started to hum. Polly knew the song. I'm lonesome since I crossed the hill and o'er the moor and valley. And she vowed, not that one too. One song is enough, and I want to leave the girl behind me. But it seems I brought her with me instead. At which point they emerged from the trees and saw the red glow. The rest of the squad were already gathered around watching it. It covered quite a lot of the horizon and brightened and faded in places as they watched. Is that owl? said Wazza. No, but men have made it so, I fear, said the lieutenant. That is the Connect Valley. It's on fire, sir, said Polly. Bless you, that's just the light of cooking fires reflected off the clouds, said Sergeant Jackram. Always looks bad by night, Sir Battlefield. Not to worry, lads. What are they cooking, elephants? said Maledict. And what's that? said Polly, pointing to a nearby hill, darker still against the night. On it, a little light was flickering on and off very fast. There was a whoosh and a metallic pop as Blouse pulled out a small telescope and opened it up. "'It's a light, Clax, the devils,' he said. "'There's another one over there,' rumbled Jade, pointing to a hill a lot further away. "'Twinkle, twinkle!' Polly stared at the redness in the sky, and then at the cold little light winking on and off. Quiet, soft light. Harmless light. And behind it, a burning sky. "'It'll be in code,' said Blouse. "'Spies, I'll be bound.' A light clax, said Tonka. What's that? An abomination in the eyes of Nuggan, said Blouse. Unfortunately, because they'd be damn useful if we could have them too, eh, Sergeant? Yes, sir, said Jackram automatically. The only messages passing through the air should be the prayers of the faithful. Praise Nuggan, praise the Duchess, and so on and so forth, said Blouse, squinting. He sighed. Such a shame. How far to that hill would you say, Sergeant? Two miles, sir said Jackram. Worth trying to sneak up? They must know people will see them and come looking, so I expect they won't hang around for long, mused Blouse. In any case, uh, those things will be highly directional. You'd lose it once you got down in the valley. Permission to speak, sir, said Polly. Of course, said Blouse. How do they get the light so bright, sir? It's pure white. Some kind of firework thingy, I believe. Why? "'And they send messages with light?' "'Yes, Perks, and your point is?' "'And the people who get those messages "'send messages back the same way?' Polly persevered. "'Yes, Perks, that is the whole idea.' "'Then maybe we don't have to go "'all the way to that hill, sir. "'The light is being aimed towards us, sir.' "'They all turned. "'The hill they were skirting loomed above them. "'Well done, Perks,' Blouse whispered. "'Let's go, Sergeant.' 
he swung himself off the horse, which automatically stepped sideways to make sure that he fell over when he landed. "'Right you are, sir,' said Jackram, helping him up. "'Maledict, you take Goom and Halter and circle around to the left. The rest go round to the right. Not you, Carborundum, no offence, but this has got to be quiet, okay? You stay here. Perks, you come with me.' "'I shall come too, sergeant,' said Blouse, and only Polly saw Jackram grimace. "'Good idea, sir,' said the sergeant. "'I suggest you... I suggest Perks and I come with you. Everyone got that?' Get to the top, neat and quiet, and no one, no one moves until you hear my signal. My signal, said Blouse firmly. That's what I meant, sir. Quick and quiet. Hit them hard, but I want at least one left alive. Go. The two teams fanned out to right and left and disappeared. The sergeant gave them a minute or two's start, and then set off with unusual speed for a man of his girth, so that for a moment Polly and the lieutenant were left standing. Behind them, a dejected jade watched them go. The trees thinned out on the steep slope, but not enough for much underbrush to get a hold. Polly found it easier to go on all fours, grabbing at tufts and saplings to steady herself. After a while, she caught a whiff of smoke, chemical and acrid. She was sure, too, that she could hear a faint clicking noise. A tree extended a hand and pulled her into its shadow. "'Don't you say a bleeding word,' hissed Jackram. "'Where's the Rupert?' "'Don't know, Sarge.' "'Damn! You can't let a Rupert run around loose. "'There's no telling what he might take it into his little head to do, "'now that he's got the idea he's in charge. "'You're his minder. Find him.' "'Polly slithered back down the slope and found Blouse "'steadying himself against a tree, wheezing gently. "'Ah! Perks!' he panted. "'My asthma seems to be uh, coming back.' "'I'll help you up, sir,' said Polly, "'grabbing his hand and tugging him forward.' "'Could you wheeze a little quieter, sir?' "'By degrees, dragging and pushing, "'she bundled the man up to Jackram's tree. "'Glad you could join us, sir,' hissed the sergeant, "'face contorted into an expression of maddened affability. "'If you'd care to wait here, Perks and me will crawl up the... "'I'm coming too, sergeant,' Blouse insisted. "'Jackram hesitated. "'Yes, sir,' he said. "'But with respect, sir, I know about skirmishing.' "'Let's go, sergeant.' said Blouse, dropping flat and beginning to drag himself forward. "'Yes, sir,' muttered Jackram darkly. Polly eased her way forward, too. The grass here was shorter, rabbit-nibbled, with small bushes here and there. She concentrated on keeping the noise down and aimed for the clicking. The smell of chemical smoke grew stronger. It hung in the air around her, and as she moved forward she saw light, little specks of it. She raised her head. There were three men a few feet away, silhouetted against the night. One of them was holding a large pipe about five feet long, balanced on his shoulder at one end and on a tripod at the other. That end was aimed at the distant hill. On the other end, a foot or so behind the man's head, was a big square box. Light was leaking from joints in this. From a little stovepipe chimney on the top of it, heavy smoke poured out. Perks, on the count of three said Jackram on Polly's right. One, as you were, sergeant, said Blouse quietly on her left. Polly saw Jackram's big florid face turn with an expression of astonishment. Sir? Hold position, said Blouse. Above them the clicking continued. Military secrets, thought Polly. Spies, enemies, and we're just watching. It was like seeing blood drain from an artery. 
Sir, hissed Jackram, rage smoking off him. Hold position, Sergeant. That is an order, said Blouse calmly. Jackram subsided, but only into the deceptive calm of a volcano waiting to explode. The relentless chatter of the clacks went on. It seemed to go on for ever. Beside Polly, Sergeant Jackram seethed and fretted like a dog on a leash. The clicking stopped. Polly heard a distant murmur of conversation. "'Sergeant Jackram,' whispered Blouse, "'you may get them with all speed.' Jackram exploded out of the grass like a partridge. "'All right, my lads. Up, boys and at Polly's first thought, as she leapt up and ran, was that the distance was suddenly a lot wider than it had appeared. All three men had turned at the sound of Jackram's cry. The one with the clax tube was already dropping it and reaching for a sword, but Jackram was bearing down on him like a landslide. The man made the mistake of standing his ground. There was a brief clash of swords, and then a melee, and Sergeant Jackram was a sufficiently deadly melee all by himself. The second man flew past Polly, but she was running for the third one. He backed away from her, reaching up to his mouth, then turned to run and found himself face to face with Maledict. "'Don't let him swallow!' Polly yelled. Maledict's arm shot up and lifted the struggling man aloft by his throat. It would have been a perfect operation had not the rest of the squad arrived, having put all their effort into running and leaving none of it to spare for slowing down. There were collisions. Maledict went down as his captive kicked him in the chest, and the man tried to scramble away, cannoning into Tonka. Polly leapt over Igorina, was almost tripped by a fallen wazzer, and threw herself desperately toward the quarry, now on his knees. He had a dagger out and waved it wildly in front of her, while he grasped his throat with his other hand and made choking noises. She knocked the knife away, ran behind him, and slapped him on the back as hard as she could. He fell forward. Before she could grab him, a hand lifted him bodily, and Jackram's voice roared, "'Can't have the poor man choking to death, Perks!' His other hand punched the man in the stomach with a noise like meat hitting a slab. The man's eyes crossed, and something large and white flew out of his mouth and shot over Jackram's shoulder. Jackram dropped him and turned on Blouse. "'Sir, I protest, sir!' he said, quivering with anger. "'We lay there and watched these devils sending who knows what messages, sir!' "'Spies, sir! We could have got em right there and then, sir!' "'And then, Sergeant,' said Blouse. "'What?' "'Don't you think the people they were talking to would wonder what had happened "'if the messages had stopped in mid-flow?' said the lieutenant. "'Even so, sir. Whereas now we have their device, Sergeant, "'and their masters don't know we have it,' said Blouse. "'Yeah, well, but you said they were sending messages in code, sir, and—' "'Er, I think we have their cipher-book as well, Sarge,' said Maledict, "'stepping forward with the white object in his hand. "'That man tried to eat it, Sarge, rice-paper. "'But he rushed his food, you might say. "'And you dislodged it, Sergeant, and probably saved his life. "'Well done,' said Blaise. "'But one of them got away, sir,' said Jackram. "'He'll soon get to—' "'Sergeant!' "'Jade was rising over the grass. "'As she plodded nearer— they saw she was dragging a man by one foot. When she got closer, it became obvious that the man was dead. Living people have more head. I heard the shouting, and he came running, and I jumped up, and he came straight into me head first, Jade complained. I didn't even get a chance to hit him. 
Well, Private, at least we can definitely say he was stopped, said Blouse. Thur, this man is dying, said Igorina, who was kneeling by the man Sergeant Jackram had so positively saved from choking. He hath been poisoned. Hath he? By whom? said Blouse. Are you sure? The green foam coming out of his mouth is a definite clue, sir. What's funny, Private Maledict? said Blouse. The vampire chuckled. Oh, sorry, sir. They say to spies, if you're caught, eat the documents, don't they? A good way of making sure they don't give away any secrets. But you've got the soggy book in your hands, Private. Vampires can't be poisoned that easily, sir, said Maledict calmly. It was probably only fatal by mouth in any case, sir, said Igorina. Terrible stuff, stuff. He's dead, sir. Nothing I can do. Poor fellow. Well, we have the codes anyway, said Blouse. This is a great discovery, men. And a prisoner, sir, and a prisoner, said Jackram. The one surviving man who had been operating the clacks groaned and tried to move. A bit bruised, I expect, Jackram added with some satisfaction. When I land on someone, sir, they stay landed on. Two of you, bring him with us, said Blouse. Sergeant, there's a few hours to dawn, and I want to be well away from here. I want the other two buried somewhere down in the woods, and... You just have to say, carry on, Sergeant, sir, said Jackram, and it was almost a wail. That's how it works, sir. You tell me what you want, I give them the orders. Times are changing, Sergeant, said Blouse. End of CD 4